0: So, Hagen, did you, did you do enough coke to wake up?
1: Uh how um let's say yes. <laughs> That's the secret to happiness. You know that, right? It's what is sniff lines uh bang 9s.
2: Morning. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Don't Be the Artist. I'm Hagen.
1: I'm Dave. <laughs> I'm Adam. And I'm Jackson. We'll see if that joke that is making everyone laugh makes the final edit. Oh, it well, fucking
2: I'm, better, dude. It
1: has to. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Welcome. How, oh,
3: how's
2: put everybody it back doing, in the doing show? today? How's everybody doing today? Oh, good. I'm
3: good.
2: Wow,
1: Adam. Adam really overestimates his, um, you know, willpower to do these things that he says Oh, he's no, gonna I'm, I'm
0: saying I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to put in the, the effort <laughs> to, yeah. Absolutely
1: you're right. not. You're, yeah, you're not going to do it. I'm also going uh, to forget doing well.
0: by Tuesday
1: when this goes out, so. That's true. There you go. So a, a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, people always open up their can. It's just something we've done since we started this show. I leave about the first one or two in and then every time after I cut those out because I'm just I think, ah, that shit's annoying. Why did we ever start that? So Well,
2: you're a fucking dick.
1: That's an asshole yeah. movie didn't tell us that. <laughs> nope. This is
0: the first I time do.
2: I've heard of this. Yeah,
0: Somebody doesn't listen to our podcast though. Hagan.
1: <laughs> Why the fuck would I listen to No, it?
0: I, I never noticed that either though. And I do listen to him again, so I never noticed it.
1: Dave listens to him. I know that. Yeah, I listen,
0: not all of them, but sometimes
3: I do. That's how you notice yeah. that we say um a lot, right? Yeah, that's when you see like late at night when there's a bunch of suggestions for me in the group <laughs> chat.
1: Adam, I'm gonna have to edit out that um you just said. That's why you say a lot.
0: Yeah, you have to bleep it out though, so we have something to reference. That's true.
1: <laughs> no, that'll that'll seem really bad if I do that. So uh, we
0: should we should bleep an episode. That'd be really funny.
1: Like bleep
2: I an entire something. episode, like bleep no, like, a, like just as just a bleep every time one of us talks in the middle of our sentence.
0: I don't think no. that's what Dave meant.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I want now. <laughs> I just got a text. I just got a text from uh, somebody who's listening to our podcast currently. They're listening to the Radiohead deep dive. So big shout out to Alex and Brooke. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did now? I, I assume that was the Alex who asked uh, about possibly being on the show. Right? Yes. You yes. have two friends named Alex Hagen, and I realized uh, whenever you said that, I said yes way too soon before knowing which one it was. <laughs> the clarification is one of
2: them I can refer to as British Alex or Ali Pally, and then the other one I can refer to as New York Alex or Big Gay Al. He is not gay, but it's a good nickname.
0: See, and I thought either would be good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's a good name for him, and maybe I should save this for the episode. Let's say here I'll, I'll give a little uh, sizzle towards it. There was a joke because he was at South by Southwest one year with us, and he was wearing a handkerchief. And there was a <laughs> there was a long running joke throughout that whole weekend that my girlfriend and I had, and then we kept we started wrangling some people in on the joke, and uh, that's a really I can't wait. If I hope he comes on next week, and we can. Uh, elaborate on that because he has no idea about this long running joke that just kept me going through South by well, Southwest.
2: He knows about the joke. He like it, it, all throughout middle school and high school because you know we're toxic people. We uh, made gay jokes towards him, uh, but it just happened to continue as we became m- more conscious and PC adults. That part of us never left.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, that has to stay. Hopefully, he comes on next week's episode and yeah yeah I, I hope it comes real good and so we'll just go ahead and pivot straight into news i got i got a couple maybe three we'll see how it goes uh did you guys read that article that i sent you about the uh, america's first socially distant concert quote-unquote yeah. first the pictures no, straight up look it.
2: like a, they, they look like a satire article it's so yeah. funny
1: it's really ridiculous. So there's a bunch of articles about this concert. It happened in Arkansas. I'm not even going to give the artists uh, a shout out because I didn't know who they were. Yeah, I and, can't remember who it was either. Yeah, and there was a lot of anger in the buildup to this concert because people were saying it was irresponsible, you don't have public safety in mind, all that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're here to talk about. But the reason why I bring it up is because it is significant music news. I guess moment just talking about concerts are slowly starting to roll back in. So well, it's interesting.
2: Yeah. So from, from my personal standpoint, I played a gig on Monday. That was very odd because people weren't social distancing. There was people not wearing masks. There were people all over the place. The place was definitely not following their capacity laws. I won't say the place's name, obviously. Um, But I think that there's there's a really fine line we're going to see very quickly on who wants to follow these rules and who doesn't because there's going to be a lot of people, I think, who are, like, ready to get out. I mean, there, I think the, the article said something about an Instagram post where the caption was, I think, like, you can't take my rock and roll away or something like that. It's like no one's fucking taking your – yeah, no one's taking that away from you. Like a lot of
1: the interviews were like that. I saw yeah. there was some like Fox Four News or whatever their local news in the Arkansas area where it was a lot of people were saying that kind of stuff, and it, it, it felt weird. But a little some of the statistics behind it is, it, I believe the venue's capacity was like eleven hundred people, and they were only allowing two hundred. 50 260 people in so it was significantly less and if you look at these pictures it's like a theater size venue and it just looks super strange it's super barren and there's no feeling of being in that concert so i don't know it's weird i'm happy to move on from this unless anybody's got something else i just wanted to you know it is notable but i don't really care to too much talk about this state of the world to piggyback on one
2: side of it, I think I think I saw you were interested uh, in it on Facebook. Jackson was the 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 Mark. I always say his last name wrong. Ribbey, Ribbey, yeah. Uh, his his drive-in tour that he's doing. I think that's great. I think that's an awesome alternative to the whole thing. That's a, and very he's, cool. He's the perfect person to do that too.
1: Yeah. So just a little reference. Uh, he was a Dallas musician who now lives in New York City, but he has blown up like the past year and he's been doing all these tours and the U S and in Europe and stuff like that. But in order to still make money, he's doing a drive-in tour and he's going across America specifically. And you just pay. And the ticket scheme is like, I think it's like $90 for a car of two people, a hundred something for a car of three people. It Yeah, and there's still opportunities to buy merch and stuff like that. And he's also making it like, oh, since you're coming to a drive-in, we're going to have short films screening and that kind of stuff and then also have the concert. Super cool. Seems pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I'll go yet, but if I do, I'll definitely report back on it. Yeah. My next two, I got, we're hearkening back to a feud, guys. And we didn't talk about this music feud, but you guys may know about it. But Pink Floyd's Roger Waters and David Gilmore are feuding again. Those two uh, apparently are did, always feeding. Did huge. they stop? No, no, not really. But <laughs> it, it's pretty fresh this week because Roger Rodder, wa- Roger Waters, Roger Rodder, Roger,
2: Roger, Roger, Roger. Pink yeah, Floyd yeah. is my favorite band. Uh, I
1: actually,
2: I actually, I want to, I want to step back on my joke and now take what Jackson said and go Star Wars direction. Roger,
1: Roger, thank you. Good job, Jackson. You fixed your joke. You're welcome. I will edit that nice and smoothly. <laughs> Good old Roger Roger stated he thinks that this is him talking about David Gilmore saying that he thinks he owns Pink Floyd because Roger's, is, Roger, wa- fuck this.
3: <laughs> Do you want to take it over? You want to start I head? should,
1: fuck this. Okay. Roger Waters is banned from using Pink Floyd's sites to promote his work accordingly. Which is interesting. Roger I, Wado can't use
2: my sights no more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, what? I have nothing more to Hold say on. about this. What, is, what
0: does that mean? You mean, like, the visuals or what?
1: All the rest of the Pink Floyd members, I think they... So, doesn't uh, David Gilmour do Pink Floyd shows and play, like, the wall and stuff like that? No, Roger Waters usually
0: know. is the one doing that because he's okay. an asshole, so...
1: So, he's not a... David Gilmore is not letting Roger Waters put any of his solo music up on their website, promoting it on social media and stuff like that, whereas apparently the other members of the band are allowed to do that. Yeah, so I mean that sounds fair. because he's
0: an asshole, so
1: yeah <laughs> So I I, I don't know much about the history. I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan. In fact, I don't like them at all. Uh, So I really don't know much about their history. But when I was reading this article, it just basically seems like ever since Roger Waters left Pink Floyd, he has been in a constant state of feuding with the surviving band members. And then the band members who were alive at the time was even he was feuding with them and that he tried to have what he was calling their camp David accords between the band members last year, something like that. And nothing came from it. He said, as soon as they got in a room together, it was very clear that the, the members of pink Floyd wanted to just like attack him and get mad at him. So yeah, I wouldn't ever, if you're a Floyd fan, I would not look forward to them ever getting back together or doing anything in that capacity. And I think this even he was talking about it stems to he wasn't even trying to get the band back together or do reunion shows. He was just trying to I think the thirtieth anniversary something like that or fortieth of uh, Animals was coming out coming up, and he wanted to do a reissue of the vinyl. And the band was like, "No, go fuck yourself." That kind of stuff. So,
0: so it, it took yeah. him like thirty years to grow a backbone.
1: Pretty much. I guess I, I really don't been, know. He's their notable history.
0: for having done that, like kind of controlling kind of thing, his entire career. So gotcha. you
2: know, your backbone keeps growing until you're sixty. Ah,
0: that is the most
3: interesting thing I've heard in the last five minutes. Jesus!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Everybody, everybody, be quiet. I got a Gallagher update. Y'all want a Gallagher update? Not at all. (laughs) I do. I really do.
0: Let's stop talking about Pink Floyd.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is my last piece of news, and then we can go into our topic. So, Mark Lanigan of grunge fame, but I misspelled fame and said game, of grunge game, released a book (laughs) which contains a whole chapter discussing his feud with Liam Gallagher, calling him a bothersome mosquito. This is a whole chapter in his biography just discussing how much he hates Liam Gallagher. Gallagher responded, calling Lanigan an uptight junkie, to which Lanigan replied, Coke addicts are junkies too, you fucking tool, the stupidest kind. Lanigan did stay. (laughs) So they've been going back and forth on Twitter and basically saying like, hey, I may be 50-something now, but I could still fuck you up all that kind of stuff and it's just these two like 50 year old dudes who were famous in the 90s just like attacking each other on twitter specifically it's pretty beautiful and by the way liam gallagher is the baby brother so he is definitely the more chihuahua type of the two he's very (laughs) snappy so Lanigan did end up stating that his stance towards gallagher has mellowed out only a little He's quoted as saying, I see Liam now, and I find him humorous like an eccentric uncle, which I found was very funny. He said that when he wrote the that chapter in his book, it was coming from, he wrote it in the perspective of how he felt like 25 years ago, because he wanted to capture, okay, this is how angry I was. But really, at this point, it's just, he's very humorous to watch and that kind of stuff. So I did also see that. Liam Gallagher, I think this just happened today right before we uh, recorded, but Liam Gallagher posted it on Twitter because he's a Man City fan. They just released uh, something like their, their new uniforms, something like that. I'm not 100% on that. Liam Gallagher said that whoever is responsible for designing the new uh, Man City uh, uniforms should be sent straight to Wuhan. Oh, my God. (laughs) Holy shit. So we'll see how that, you know, pans out for him. I'm going to go
2: with not great. I'm ready to hear about it next week. I'm ready for another update on this next week. Uh, I have one piece of news to add on. Uh, For anybody who's been following the stuff I've been talking about with Trapped, for any of our listeners, (laughs) I know that most people don't care. But uh, I find it very hysterical. So the singer of Trapped is a dick. Uh, he tweets a bunch of shitty stuff. I read a tweet from him last week about the Tony Hawk uh, pro skater thing, about the, there's no dancing Gavin's in this thing. And then I sent you guys uh, that night a petition to sign to get Headstrong out of the Tony Hawk soundtrack. I signed it. Thank you. Good. On Thursday, I think, maybe Wednesday, uh, somebody in this Facebook group announced that. They were running this trapped Twitter account and it started this whole thing. <laughs> so, the lead singer of Trapped is a dick. His that's when he runs his Twitter, he's an asshole. But the trapped official tweet that got like a lot of people angry was from a fake account <laughs> and it started a petition to get Headstrong out of the Tony Hawk game.
1: <laughs> I love Man. the internet. It's That's really so good. It's so
3: good.
2: <laughs> okay, what are, what are we talking about
1: today? So there's, there's no smooth way to transition from that. Just, not not uh, at all. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not give you a good piece
2: of information?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we had a good way to get there
3: from any of this news. Have you guys been watching any movies lately?
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh shit, There's, that's why Dave's here.
3: So,
1: this week we're talking about scores, uh, and particularly I'll be talking mostly about film scores, but maybe a little bit about TV scores. Do you guys mind if I, I, I have a little opening crawl that I am going to state? Go ahead. i got to turn my snare off one. real quick anyway, so go ahead. Oh yeah, make sure to turn that snare off, dude. <laughs> film scores didn't originally come from an artistic urge but more from the need to drown out the noise from the projector. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about literally the projector was in the same room as the moviegoers. It was a very loud machine and they just needed something. These were silent films at the time. This was done in the time prior to recorded sound. And in order to have the music played along with the films at the same time, there were in-house pianists or organs. even once sound was introduced to films, music was hardly used. A landmark moment event for synchronized music with the action of the film was 1933's King Kong. Dave, you were a lot better at this than me last week.
3: <laughs> Dude, I was so nervous. I was so nervous.
1: I feel like a toddler trying to read out my report right now.
3: I was so nervous.
1: 1933's King Kong was a monumental Uh, moment for the synchronized sound with the action of the film the film was one of the first to have music cues an example being a character slowly walking towards the main characters of the scene and each footfall is reinforced by a background chord with the score much like any other sector of music film scores navigated and evolved through different phases and styles throughout the decades into the modern scores of today so that's just a little brief history that i mumbled through and read like a toddler just uh that i was pretty (laughs) proud of writing and then i started saying it out loud and was like "Ah, i should have practiced but oh well at least you didn't say waddle waddle yeah that's true that's from a that's from a movie roger roger you know yeah a different movie yeah that's not from king kong what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> scores today. <laughs> Film scores, TV scores. I, I think we should leave out video game scores. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's its own topic almost. Let's yeah.
1: go ahead and start with the big question. What is the purpose of a movie score? Hagen, do you have any big emotions about this?
2: Well, I think that, uh, honestly, I have come to a really sad realization in the past few years. I'm a massive Star Wars fan, okay? Absolutely huge. Uh, I really like the prequels, and I love the sequels. I really don't have any negative thoughts. I think there are better and worse Star Wars movies, obviously, but I really love every Star Wars movie. I walked out of Episode Nine. I, en- I was enjoying myself, and I got home, and I sat, a- like, sat and thought about it for a second, and I kind of quickly realized, maybe I only like this franchise because the music is so goddamn good. So it has that kind of effect where it can really, really just make something that much better. I think I'm wrong, but I was really confused after watching episode nine. Um, so I think that that's a really big thing. But then there's also the impact that not having music does. So No, no Country for Old Men, excellent movie. I love that movie so much. There's no music at all. And it makes the movie, like, it, it makes you feel like you're on the edge of your seat the entire time, even if you're like laid back or if you actually are on the edge of your seat, you're, like, really stressed. I mean, it's it's absolutely excellent choice for a movie like that to not have any music. So I think that it's always going to have some kind of important effect, um, but it I don't know if it can make or break a movie, you know?
3: I think, you know, especially for John Williams, who was the composer for all the Star Wars stuff and many other great movies, at that time, too, we're seeing a, like... Resurgence of using an orchestra for a movie because it went through a phase before that like in the Maybe the decade before it where people strayed away from using an orchestra And then here comes John Williams doing the music for this movie and it becomes one of the biggest Movie soundtracks of all time, so I don't think you're wrong in saying that maybe that's what makes that movie If you imagine someone else doing it or not having any music for that movie Would it be as big a franchise as it is?
2: Yeah And I'll say another point to that being that I'm a fan of the Clone Wars television show and the Rebels television show. It's not the same music. Some of it's the same, and it sometimes feels the same, but it's not the same. And so I really enjoy those shows, but I wonder if the music was the same, if it was done by John Williams, if it would be better for me.
1: And I I would say in those films, especially these uh, you know, coming from Star Wars and we're talking about these overarching uh, film sagas, Especially Star Wars in particular, the music is one of the combining threads because you're very familiar. There will be themes. Actually, they're well thought out. It's not, you know. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But like the Marvel movies specifically, say for a few examples, like you know Guardians of the Galaxy, which is not really a typical score. They are. They don't have a combining theme that grabs them together, but. What shows you is uh, that when the Star Wars case, that even when you do feel you're being skimped on the story in uh, that scenario, you do still have that connecting tissue of the actual score and the things you... There are still stuff like that coming from the music. And I
0: think to Dave's point, like with John Williams specifically, he basically was... One of the main reasons that original movie was so good is because of that music. Yeah, yeah. And if that wasn't there, maybe people wouldn't care about the original Star Wars movie. But cause, and that turned out you know, to be that John Williams kind of defined what everybody thinks of when they think of a score for a movie is that style of music that he kind of popularized.
1: popularized uh-huh. You fucking idiot, you don't know how to talk. So. You're so nah. stupid. <laughs> nah, he's cool. Ah, he's you know, cool. He's Roger fine. Waters. He's all good. He's all good. <laughs> i'll fix it in the edit. so uh, one thing we didn't talk about uh when we're talking about the purpose of a movie score is a lot of the times it can be to as i was saying reinforce or an emotion or have an actual cue for something that's about to happen or is happening on screen Some kind, sometimes this can feel kind of handholdy but when it's done really well, like in the Star Wars case or Lord of the Rings is another big example. It's not sitting there telling you what to feel, but more, you know, giving you a little more thought into the situation of, Oh, you know, if there's a scenario and you wouldn't really be thinking too much into it, but then you hear the strings swelling, you're like, Oh, well maybe this is a, without the characters actually having to say, this is an emotional moment for me. The score is helping you realize, Oh, this is actually a big moment that these characters are meeting again, something like that. So there can be, I see both sides of the same coin on that of the handholding of, I can feel what I want to feel and interpret it. Don't, you know, you don't need to tell the audience what to feel if you've done it well, but then also, you know, it can evoke a response that maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise. But in, in
3: some instances you can have a score that, you know, because we keep talking about star Wars, Some of those themes have run through the entire franchise. So as the story develops, you can end up having a theme come back and have it applied to a different character that further propels the history of, say, the family or, you know, whatever how that character relates to the character that had the original theme. So you can use these things to, you know, as you were saying, hold the hand of the audience, but they can also be used for deception or development there are so many different ways that you can use it that at the end of it you almost get back to okay well then it doesn't really matter because you're yeah. you just along for the ride anyway if it's done well enough
1: dave do you mind if i ask you what your favorite star Wars is
3: uh no i don't mind do
2: i have an answer no <laughs> Just to be safe Cheers. before we before we leave Star Wars, I, I need to make something very clear for everybody that's listening. I do, I do ship Raylo. All right, we can go on from Star Wars now.
1: Hagen, we're never leaving Star Wars. That <laughs> okay, decision good, okay, good, was good, made good. for us a long time ago. Well, I mean, by...
0: yeah, I,
1: think I mean, Disney in our conversation. I that decision for us. I, that's all. Yes. I just
2: wanted to make it clear. You know, before we leave the conversation. That's all.
1: So I don't know if this will come up organically later, but, you know, a lot of these emotional cues we're talking about, they're, the director will have a close relationship or, you know, they talk back and forth. The director says, hey, this is what we're going for in this scene, stuff like that. And then the composer will say, okay, well, I can work with that, so on and so forth. But there are instances, and this is the only instance I know of well, but Paul Thomas Anderson... Almost exclusively works with Johnny Greenwood for his scores. Yes, Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. But there have wow. been these <laughs> there have been these good interviews talking about like, oh, what is it like working with Johnny Greenwood? Who is this accomplished uh, film composer? But he's also of you know a huge rock band, and he said, you know, it's not like the typical composer director relationship where you tell them hey this is what I need and then they'll send you stuff and you're like okay I hear it yeah this will work for the scene apparently the way Johnny Greenwood works is he's already been just working on stuff this is music that he would be composing with or without the film and then he sends it to the London Orchestra that he works with and then he'll send it to Paul Thomas Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson has said so it's kind of fun and it's a different way of working because they'll be working on a scene and then Johnny Greenwood will send him a voice memo and he's like yeah here's a piano part and he's like and they'll be sitting there at the film set like okay well we need to rework this scene to work with this this is really cool and I didn't feel this way and like all that kind of stuff so it's a different way of working neither way is right nor wrong but yeah what do you think
2: about the perspective of the composer when a director is trying to explain what they want from a scene and then they like I'm sure everybody's had that scenario where somebody's trying to explain something to you that you know a whole lot about and they're using like the wrong terminology and it just gets like eventually very very frustrating like can you please like can you please just stop talking to me right now I'm sure because it's their job because like, you know, composing scores is their job, but I imagine at some point it's got to get really frustrating to like work with certain directors cuz I bet they're just like, "No, happier here." No, no. Or they or they use like a totally wrong word like, "Well, what if there was a polyrhythm there?" Like <laughs> like some stupid thing like that. I wonder if if composers get frustrated by directors.
1: I imagine on the smaller scale, like the, you know, Indie films, yeah, but when we're talking about our Danny Elfman's, John Williams, they're working with these super accomplished, you know, directors like a Christopher Nolan. I guarantee you Christopher Nolan knows how to talk to a prop handler as well as he knows how to talk with somebody as high up as Hans Zimmer. So it's like, but on the indie level, I'm sure that is a huge issue, just not knowing how to communicate.
0: I yeah, I think that and also on movies that are a studio like producer centric kind of production kind of like the Marvel movies where the director doesn't have much say at all and somebody from the studio is telling you know whatever composer for this movie no nah, it needs to be more you know happy over there or something like that and I'm sure I mean that's yeah, a good exactly. paycheck so they keep doing it but at the same time I'm sure it's not creatively like fulfilling That's probably the to level where it's movies. a little
3: more frustrating. I did I watched an, I watched an interview with Hans do you say do you say Zimmer it's Zemer. Zemer? Okay, I would have said Zemer. <laughs> On anyway, Zemer. I watched an interview with him where he was talking about meeting with someone like Christopher Nolan, and then they're having these great discussions about like where they want the music to go for the movie, and blah, 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 and they get somewhere with it. And then when the director leaves, he was like, I'm left with just a blank page. Right. And even at, Even at his level, he's still like, I hope this works. Like, a green... <laughs> agreeing to do such a large-scale thing and wondering if it's gonna be worth it and of course it always is with someone like him
2: yeah uh, you said you said Danny Elfman and that one I want to step back to what you said earlier about like the score making you feel emotions and stuff like that because he did marriage story and that did the opposite because that score was very happy and very like it was a misleading score it was not a, it was not telling you how to feel it was just there to like, I think, I think it made the scenes like and the transitions nice, but by no means, was it a thing that was telling you how to feel or holding, it might've been holding your hand to make you feel better because that movie was insanely sad.
1: Yeah. Maybe that was really, I didn't even think of that example, but I, I think that maybe that's a great example of we're so used to films with scores, especially something on that level. That was a huge movie last year. And, it, but then also on the artistic level of it, that maybe that was the purpose because that is such a heavy movie. Once that movie gets going, it really never lets you go. And right. Ever. Or not even at the end. There's no, like, kind of resolve, like a happy resolve. But the
2: score does resolve. When the credits start rolling, the score yeah. is like.
1: You're so happy,
2: and it feels like you're at the end. And I, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, N- "What? No, 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 no! This isn't working. I'm not happy right now. Oh Stop yeah, this, this is bullshit." Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking maybe that was more. It, it was probably intentionally supposed to be kind of a palate cleanser because the score really that you're talking about it's more piano driven. Yeah, and it is more upbeat. Yeah, you're right. So that's got to be an intentional palate cleanser between these really heavy scenes.
3: You know, some, something about Danny Elfman, he was the, fr- he was the front man for uh, the band Oingo Boingo who, who did the song Weird Science.
1: Yeah.
2: And that was Fun Facts with Dave. Oh, I've got a couple of those. because That's happens-
1: <laughs> been the most fun fact I've heard in the last five <laughs> minutes.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, Hans Zimmer was in a band called The Buggles, and they wrote the song Video Killed the Radio Star.
1: Was he? I did not know he was in that band. And that oh, was wow. the
3: first video played on MTV.
1: Yeah. So here's a. there's a great uh, interview with Hans Zimmer where he talks about how whenever he was getting starting to you know become an adult and get money he had enough money to buy one of two things he he said that this was the moment he realized he wanted to do this as a career that he had the choice to buy a car to get him around to get a job and like get around hang out with people get girlfriends all that kind of stuff or buy a moog synthesizer which by the way that's fucked up that Moog synthesizers are that expensive. I've looked into <laughs> them myself, and I'm just like, I just can't even stomach spending that much money on a synthesizer I don't even know I'll be good with. Uh, yeah, but and he chose the synthesizer, which I, I it's one of those like inspiring uh, stories you hear. You're like, where you're like, man, I should have fucking picked the synthesizer. Why did I buy a car? That kind of <laughs> shit.
3: It says, says the guy that owns a Tesla.
1: You're a fucking asshole, Dave. <laughs> uh, I'm going to shift gears slightly. Do you guys have any feeling of movies versus TV scores? I will start by saying, personally, I see the biggest difference between a movie and a TV score being that TV shows tend to have a more memorable theme song and not much else special in the score department. You have your examples where, like, Seinfeld is, you know, it has the synth bass, all that kind of stuff. But mostly, outside of there are a couple musical uh, shows, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But there's got, like, Glee, I guess. But I would say mostly theme songs.
2: Yeah, what you're talking about there is mostly like soundtrack versus like cuz like TV I, for me, TV shows do really well when they have a strong like soundtrack. Not necessarily amazing scores. So like I love Rick and Morty, but the episodes that have done the best in the ending, like when they when they when they roll credits are when they play like in terms of music or when they play another person's song, not their credits rolling, you know. Um, or when Justin Roiland just makes up some dumb fucking song, which is always fun. Um, but I think that it really, it really has to do – like Scrubs is an example that comes to mind because that show like, was run by having a great soundtrack. It was run by Zach Braff, Bill Lawrence, and one of the other writers who just loved all these indie bands and just gave them attention at the time. Uh, but that's for television that I watch because I have, you know, a weird taste in television. But I do know there's a lot of other great television shows that use amazing scores.
0: I, I think it depends on the type of show a lot. Like, especially more recently, any big budget like drama kind of thing is going to have a good score. It might be forgettable, but it's not like, like the old like
1: like HBO.
0: Yeah, HBO or I mean, honestly at this point AMC was probably a good one for uh Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul that is all memorable. If you watch the show, you remember these different themes that sometimes come up, which is weird cuz TV didn't used to be like that. It has kind of become that That's recently. True. I mean, Westworld is probably the popular example of they take all these songs and Redo them for the show, um, but I, I think it's more of a recent development of TV that scores are memorable and higher quality than just somebody did something on you know keys and then threw it into Pro Tools or whatever. So,
3: we because those those older sitcoms had to account for commercials, so a lot of the stuff that they had in terms of music was cue music to leave a scene and go to commercial, and then come back from commercial, and it was just like you know, whatever the character of the show was, it was some generic cutscene music. But then, you know, for TV, I also think about something like Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny, where that music was incredible. I do think, however, that was a part of the time.
2: That's very true. I also, uh, for anybody who would watch it, I don't know, Last Airbender got put on Netflix again, and Last Airbender has a great score too that's very inspired by... What are you laughing at me for? Why are you laughing at me, you jackass? You fucking Dude, piece of shit! I, Why I are love you the fucking in, laughing at me?
1: I love the end credits or the fucking credit theme song. The ooch, do, ooch do, uh, yeah. the ooch, the yeah. Ooch, <laughs> I was just watching that today, and every time that like there will be a super emotional episode where I'm like, ah, oh, wow. So I never really watched that show, so I'm watching it now, yeah. and I was just like, oh wow, that's pretty emotional for a cartoon. And then I am just sitting there thinking for a second, like while the strings are you know kind of you know swelling, and then like out of nowhere it's just ooch, ooch, ooch. I'm just like, okay, cool. I don't feel fucking anything, dude. Play the next cartoon. Uh,
2: I, I but I, I also. I think it's important to go back to the cue thing you said, Dave, because it, it is like that's a lot of what television scores are. Is is they they go to their composer and they go, hey, we need a, a cue out of this scene into this scene, and in, in in this scene, they're walking into a train station, so I needed to like you know sound like this, and then this scene they're starting here, so give me something, and then like a lot of these composers will just like send them something they already had saved, and then that, they'll use that. Um, it's like it's like the Seinfeld thing. It's not like it, it wasn't like every single time they used the same one, they would a lot of times like, ask him to, you know, hey, we want something that sounds more like this, and he would just go on the, on the, on the synth, synth base and do it and send it over.
3: Yeah, that's, like, that guy was a genius in the way that he made that show happen in terms of music because he right. would watch, for every episode, he would watch the cut with Seinfeld doing stand-up and do the signature kind of things that you hear in the theme song in the spaces of Seinfeld's comedy. And then keep that theme running throughout the entirety of the show. It's really great, except yeah. for what was the last? I think it was the last episode they played um, "Good Riddance" by Green Day. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's true, but let's let I have the listeners, no, I, let's I, let the listeners I
1: don't, call me out on
2: that. If I, I don't like Seinfeld,
1: on. so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, shut up, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Hagen did touch on this a bit, but there is the idea of an original score versus a various, what I call various artists soundtrack. Yeah. The score
0: and soundtrack are two distinct things. And you can have both in movies yeah. too. Like guardians has a score. No one knows it because you remember the soundtrack.
1: That, that, that was going to be one of my two examples is the guardians of the galaxy movies, which everyone knows for the quote unquote mixtapes. And there's a great, Examples of soundtracks that people listen to. Juno had a really good one. Garden State. Yeah, Garden State. Single like Zach Braff is responsible for the band The Shins. Like, yep. He single-handedly got the Shins famous, and the Shins even themselves say that. So, and then there's another. I don't, you don't know if you guys ever saw this movie, but that movie uh, in 2006, Marie Antoinette, which mm-hmm. was a period piece with uh i'm forgetting her name she was uh, in spider-man she was mary Kirsten jane dunst yes and she plays marie antoinette but it's a period piece all accurate they were wearing you know the um accurate costumes and everything like that but the score is a bunch of modern music like they'll have joan Jett and the heartbreakers and stuff like that which to me whenever i saw that movie it felt it felt really jarring but it also you know Was trying to animate this character who everyone knows in this historical sense and be like, well, here is a kind of more, I guess, lively interpretation of that. But I always find myself liking the original scores more just because the various, the soundtracks just, I don't know, there's something that's kind of lost on me. It feels like a mixtape no matter what to me, especially something like Suicide Squad where it's not even where they have original uh, songs, it just feels it, it feels like a greatest hits compilation of like, well, here's a pop song. And it just, it feels dirty and cheap, like an ad to me in the middle of a song or in the middle of a movie. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it works in movies. And generally, I don't think they're enjoyable outside of the movie. Like they work in the context of the movie, the you know choices of music they picked and that kind of thing. It does work on its own with stuff like, Uh, Guardians and then Baby Driver to some extent too like that can kind of work on its own but it's I think it's always surprising when a soundtrack is something that can kind of stand on its own
1: yeah Edgar Wright is a great example especially that uh, scene from Shaun of the Dead with uh, Queens Don't Stop Me Now where they're uh, attacking the zombie with that like yeah that's a great example but the whole movie because there are movies where it is like the whole thing is a soundtrack It it feels weird to me
0: yeah, and with Edgar Wright, though, the thing is more about how he edited those scenes to fit the music, too, and that adds a lot of value to those songs. Otherwise, they wouldn't be nearly as memorable or well, quite I mean, as well.
3: What about Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World? Like, that, the occurrence of that song in that yeah. movie caused that song to be a number one hit again.
2: But a lot of these, a lot of times, like in Guardians, it's used as a storytelling device. It's not necessarily like I think that that helps it not be as awkward. I agree that so many times when like you're watching like some dumb fucking rom com and they throw an indie song in there, you're like, this just feels uncomfortable. You're trying to make me feel happy by playing, you know, fucking uh, what's that? Uh, the underdog by Spoon. You know, I've that it's it's not it's not working. Uh, you're force- I like that song I like that song you're forcing this on me though but like in Guardians it's used as a storytelling device and a really important part of Chris Pratt's character so it, it's it's kind of a toss up but I think it helps a ton with soundtracks if you can actually put it like, re- like relate it to the movie and the characters itself
0: yeah, or if you can have it happen in the movie.
2: Exactly, like yeah. Like, in,
0: in-world, it works a lot better than just like, oh, hey, we put a, you know, Foo Fighters song over this scene. Yeah, exactly. You know, reasons. Yeah. Can I
3: just say something to you real quick about, uh, totally off-topic, but Chris Pratt, I can't hear his name now and not think about Chris Pratt.
1: <laughs> Are you talking I, okay. about the man cave? <laughs> I, I don't know.
3: I just, I, I feel like I saw... <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: uh, i missed that good work no jackson good, was good work
1: that was good i literally had zero <laughs> clue what you were talking about dave and i was like how can i pivot i have no clue what he meant
0: <laughs> <laughs> like
3: crispy rat like a crispy rodent
0: ah. i mean i i got that part but where does it come from
2: like
3: i don't or- i think there was a meme or something like that
0: okay
1: hagan what do you think when you think of chris pratt
2: that he's part of that really dumb church in California that that's Justin Bieber is also say. a part of, and it's like not a super cool church at all.
1: I was going to say that like, every time I think about Chris Pratt, I think about America's man, because there was a period whenever Guardians of the Galaxy came out and he got buff and everything like that, that every person I knew was obsessed with him. And people were like, "Ah, oh, man, that's just like, that's a, a great guy. That's a great guy. And I was like, man, it, it, this seems like America's fucking wet dream right now is Chris Pratt. It was weird. Really I mean, weird. And they wanted
0: to put him in every movie. They wanted yeah, him to be yeah. the new Indiana Jones and he's in Jurassic Park 5 or whatever. And... Jurassic World. Yeah.
3: Shitty yeah. movie.
1: <laughs> shitty, shitty movie.
3: So bad. I think that was the first time I left the theater as an adult where I was like, man, I really wish I didn't spend that money.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was, I, I remember when that second movie was coming out and that they were pushing that trailer so hard and I had seen that first Jurassic World and I was just like, that movie sucked. It, that was not a good time. Uh, my friends and I just laughed through it pretty much while everyone was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then I just like, they were shoving that shit down your throat. And then I remember, I think Adam and I were at a movie or something like that and it came up for the thousandth time and we just looked at each other like, ah, oh, what the fuck? And then there was a woman like five seats away from us, and I heard her lean into her husband and go, "Wow, that looks amazing."
0: <laughs> so, did did
3: John Williams? Did John Williams do the music for the Jurassic Worlds too?
0: I don't think
2: so.
3: I'm
0: almost positive he didn't. I think the only thing he does or did anymore, or rather, was the Star Wars movies because he wanted to mm. finish those those out. I don't, yeah, think. I mean, maybe they asked him to, and he said no. I don't know, but.
1: That was uh, whenever we left episode nine. uh, My girlfriend, I think that was the most emotional part for her of that movie was she said, oh, wow, I guess John Williams won't ever do another Star Wars, huh? And I was like, no, probably not. And she was like, wow, that's really sad. And I was like, yeah, that movie sucked, didn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it it is really weird to think about that, though, because that it is like. Crazy to think that we went and saw, you know, in theaters, like the last movie that he will probably compose for, yeah. And just how impactful his career has been with that. And I mean, if you just look at the list of giant franchises, of course, ours, I, well, I like a solid chunk of them because
2: of him. I can't, I like, I 100 cannot stress how confused I still am about Episode Nine if I like it or not. But wow, that score is so good. He did such an amazing job with so many moments of that movie. I mean, he always does. But that—that's why I really think that he made me like Star Wars in a way. Because holy shit, I don't know if I like Episode Nine, but I yeah. do know that I want to watch it again just to hear the yeah, moments.
0: He, he definitely saved some of those scenes. Yeah. Can you imagine if they nine.
3: released the entire franchise without a score? Like you know how sometimes they do those musicless music videos. Doing that yeah. with a movie, it would be so different.
1: I think you just—I think you just ruined my night. yes so let's talk about what they call template scores or temp tracks uh that kind of shoehorn the originality of a score so the example that i'm going to use in this is the mcu films there's a great youtube video that i think most people have seen it's called the marvel symphonic universe it's incredible adam if you're going to link anything you have to link this oh
0: it will be. Yeah, it's by uh, every frame of painting, right? Correct. It It's yeah. just,
1: it's an amazing, it's like 13, 14 minutes long, and it explains all of this just superbly. But what we're talking about- Way better is, than we will. Oh yeah, of course. Our temp scores, and the best way to explain what a temp score is, is especially now with modern film editing, while a director is filming a movie, they can just put in a- Uh, you know a temp track from okay well let's say 300 was a big example of this 300 used the some uh, score elements from a movie I think it was called Titus something like that but they were using a lot of those as temp tracks so then whenever they send it to the actual composer they say hey we want it to sound like this and so a lot of times happened and the three 300 is a huge example because it's one of the only examples where the actual production company said we apologize for being like blatantly ripping off this score they obviously didn't say ripping off they said it really in a pr way but
0: Pay, paying tribute
1: exactly but they did say that they uh respected it, blah 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 and then uh, settled it together amicably so what these temp scores do is really they the directors film a scene and then they start putting these tracks in and because they're getting so attached to it the directors get stuck with that and then the composers really are stuck in this box of like oh well you have to do this like male chorus chanting part in 300 even though I thought it'd be really cool to do like a big brass orchestra or something like that so it, it's temp tracks are no good and Danny Elfman is a vocal opponent and says that they are the bane of his existence so it goes all the way up to the top it's not just smaller directors it's not just medium directors it is these huge huge directors putting these famous composers like Danny Elfman in this corner of just like I can't change your mind and you're paying me
0: well and and since you mentioned it was mostly, not mostly, but is more of a recent problem, it's definitely gotten worse. But even yeah. going back to 2001 A Space Odyssey, that's, I think, the earliest example I know of where they did that. Where somebody, they hired a composer to write the f- score for the movie that uh, Kubrick had worked with before. And then while they were editing, he decided, nah, I like the music we had before. Let's get the rights to that classic music we had. And so that's why that movie has such a weird, like, Distinct score for what it is, using all that classical music, and it was just because that's what they felt comfortable with. As they edited the movie, they realized, "Well, we like that better. We don't need anything else." So,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna equate that to something, and that is uh, for musicians out there who have recorded an album. It's why you don't have the same person record, mix, and master your shit. You need to have multiple people working on your projects, so that way it's like a lot of different like views on the whole thing. And to me, this just sounds like. You know when somebody's mixing and mastering and doing the recording of a project they of course get locked in in like these opinions because they just keep hearing it hearing it hearing it so they only hear this but if someone else comes in they're gonna give you another option so no matter what artistic project you're doing I strongly suggest using another person like at least one other person I mean you have to I mean this just sounds like you're completely you're obviously you're hindering one person's artistic opinion right you're at least hindering the composers opinion but you're also hindering what your project could be by adding in another voice.
3: Yeah, you you end up stunting what could the potential of a project because in, in in that in some of those examples, Jackson, that video you sent and this other thing that I was watching, it showed the director and the composer talking about it before the movie was shot. So in some ways, you can almost say like, why wouldn't they just pre-make up some ideas with the script in mind? and send that to the directors. Instead of the director having to, I understand timelines and people's schedules are different, but that kind of music doesn't seem necessary to me, especially for how much it has a hindrance on a potential project.
1: Of course, and that's not to say when we're talking about this that someone couldn't say, hey, I'm a huge fan of The Duel of the Fates by John Williams. Could we do something like that? That's different than what we're talking about. The answer is no.
2: The answer is you can't
1: of course but that that's different and saying like oh hey i'm looking for something that's kind of mozart-esque or beethoven-esque for my film score that is okay when you're as a director to have this kind of emotional feel of like oh well i want it kind of symphonic or i just want it piano driven something like that that's okay but these temp tracks are literally it would be as if you took a mozart song put it in your scene and then sent it to the composer with that and said hey this is what we were thinking because then that composer is really stuck it's just like they can't sway you and then yeah, it's that like, also it's like,
3: you, you can copy my homework but change it a little bit so that uh, right. it doesn't seem like we you cheated
1: exactly and this in the same video Danny Elfman brings up an interesting question that I didn't even think about until I was watching the video today should music be noticed in a film? And I think he said he even grapples with that kind of emotion or that feeling of it's an interesting question because he said, yeah, sometimes I agree. Yeah, you should be able to notice my music. But then there are times where it's like, no, you shouldn't notice my music. It should be just kind of an underlying current to the scene. What do you guys feel on that? Because I see that as well. That's a really weird question. Well, I have two points to that, one being, let's
2: go back to Marriage Story for a second, and maybe he genuinely, maybe that's why he did Marriage Story the way that he did. Maybe it was not supposed to be noticed. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be a palate cleanser. Maybe it was just supposed to be a thing that existed at the same time, but it wasn't supposed to take you out of anything. Because it didn't. It never once took me out of the scenario, and it never once felt like a palate cleanser. So if it was supposed to be one, it didn't. It didn't do that. So maybe... His intention in that score was, you're not supposed to really think about this. It's just going to be there. The other point being, the other big thing about that video, about the Marvel uh, Symphonic soundtrack video, is that the whole point of that video that I got was that the Marvel soundtrack kind of blows. Now, the, the big thing with that is that I don't think it blows. I think that it's just, it's not that it's not supposed to be there but it's kind of not there. Like it's yeah, not what it's about. It's by about. the numbers. Yeah. It's not what it's about by any means. So I kind of think that if you put something there, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be important. And I think a, com- a really good composer can, can make the decision. A good songwriter, a good composer, anybody can make that conscious decision of going, I'm going to put this in my song or my piece or whatever. It doesn't have to be the most important thing. And maybe it does nothing at all, but maybe doing nothing is cool. Maybe the fact that it doesn't actually lead you anywhere is a compositional choice. Uh, to rant even further, I watched an Adam Neely video, great YouTuber, about the worst jazz solo in history. And it's about this solo that's one note and it's like out of tune the whole way through. So he goes on this history about one note solos and kind of talking about like how they're meant to almost not really do anything they're not meant. there some, some of them are meant to be chaotic but also some of them are meant to just be nothing and it the space of nothing with sound is a very interesting concept to think about
1: yeah and when discussing a score that is there for the sake of it is part of the scenery it because it would feel empty it's one of those things it's like in the editing mindset it's like when you put it you put an effect on a you know a vocal track or something like that, and then you're like, well, but I really can't notice it, notice it. Is it really need to be there? And then as soon as you uh, take it out, you're like, oh, that was actually that feels empty without it. So it, it's the same way with these scenes. But right. my my best example of this being a good thing when you can't hear the track is the movie Tron Legacy. I I really like that movie. I think it's a pretty underrated film, and it's this movie. It's just a sequel. It's Ron Legacy. We all know it. It's just this kind of like they go into a digital world.
3: So is that Harrison Ford?
1: No, it was Kurt Russell. Uh, No, 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 no. no. Jeff Bridges. It was Jeff Bridges. Sorry, sorry. The other Harrison
3: Ford.
2: Yeah. (laughs) What did you just say? Hold on. What? What does that mean? No, that's a that's a pause, Jackson. I have a I'm lot sorry. of questions now. I just I just slapped my pop filter. What uh, what are you what are you talking about? The other Harrison Ford? You think he's replaceable?
3: No, I'm talking about yeah, no, not at Chris all. I like, look, I like shut up, Adam. <laughs> I like I like Jeff Bridges a lot more than Harrison Ford. Well, but... now
2: we have a different conversation on our hands.
3: That's a whole podcast. <laughs> Can I finish uh, my point? Tune in next week when we now argue about Now you can finish Harrison. your point. Yeah, go
1: ahead. Yeah.
3: Unpause.
1: <laughs> so Tron Legacy was coming out, and then it was announced Daft Punk was doing the score, the soundtrack. So that was a huge deal. This was in between. They hadn't released anything for a while, and everyone was like, oh, this is them releasing another album because it's an electronic world. It's just going to be another Daft Punk album. And I remember pre-ordering the soundtrack and then getting it and being like, man what the fuck is this there was like one quote-unquote Daft Punk song and then it was just all like strings and stuff it wasn't bad but I was like this is not what I thought it was gonna be and then I saw the movie and all the electronic elements they really do blend in with the film and even the quote-unquote Daft Punk song it's played during a scene where they're like a DJ's there so it, it makes sense I think it was Daft Punk actually in the scene but This is a great example of like, okay, well, you have these high-profile musicians and then also this, you know, huge Disney movie at the time, and it really wasn't... They weren't there to chew up the scenery. They were there to just, you know, actually be the underlying current of the film and not really take away from it. So I do think there are times, like in The Lord of the Rings, where when I hear uh the opening do 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 the hobbit song like i just like ah i just get so excited and that adds so much to that scene whereas if i took out the score from that or if i couldn't hear that score it would have a very different feeling i would feel very it would just be like oh yeah this is you're just showing me some hobbit holes cool <laughs> it gives it a it gives it a lighthearted feeling and i'm glad i can hear it so i have no, or I have one more question. So unless anybody else- Which one is it, huh?
2: Make up your mind, you're you're acting real sus right now, buddy. Which one is it, pick one. Do you have a question or don't you have a question?
1: (laughs) This is what I think the big question is. Can you listen to a score out of context of a film? So I will say before anyone can speak that Adam and I do listen to scores. And I really, whenever we discuss doing this topic, I was thinking, would I like these songs? Would I like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack if I had never seen the Lord of the Rings films? My answer would be in, in a whole, like the entire soundtrack, probably not. Would I like some of the songs? Yeah, probably, but not in its entirety. But that it's this weird idea of uh, ripping it away from its context. So, Hagen, I know you're not one to really listen to film scores or anything like that, how do you feel about that? Listening to something out of context.
2: When I was younger, I used to listen to scores all the time. Um, I used to listen to, I loved the pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. Fucking love. I mean, I still, I, I that's another movie that I, I cite back to. I think I loved those movies so much because of the score. Um, I still do love the, the first three. I think they're amazing. Um, but I think in it, largely it's because I loved the music so much. Um, so there's that with those, and with Star Wars, I listened to it. But I'll say that as I got older, I went back. I tried to listen to Episode Nine, the soundtrack. I keep bringing it up, but I have to. I tried to listen to that soundtrack, and I couldn't. It, it wasn't because it was bad. It was just it, it it was it made me think of the movie too much, and I really wanted to just put it in the in into context. So it honestly, I mean, it, it mostly depends. But in general in the past you know 10 years of my life i really haven't listened to too many soundtracks on my own i think it's because it makes me want something too particular it wants me to i really want to see the movie versus not you know i mean it's it's weird to listen to you know the 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 scene where kylo and ray are on the old death star the music there i was legitimately like I, I love, I was getting goosebumps from the music and I listened to that part of like, I listened to that song in, on the, on the album on Spotify. I didn't have the same feeling. So I think, I, I don't know why it's changed for me, but it's changed. I just don't really care to do it that much.
0: What about you, Adam? I mean, I think it, I think it really depends on the score itself. Cause there are some scores that I've like listened to either because it's the same composer or a band is doing a movie score that I've, had an interest in like uh arcade fire did the score for her the uh the movie it came out i don't know probably six years ago now
1: i did and not I know that
0: score before seeing the movie and i think that score is great yeah it was kind of a surprising thing because i i don't it, it sounds like arcade fire obviously but it's kind of like the trent Reznor and atticus ross kind of thing it is you can tell it's the same relationship to the the between their other music but it is very distinctly something different um, and so I think in that case, like, I listened to that before seeing the movie. Um, I've never even seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, but the score for that is great and I love it. Um, I think it just depends on that type of music. And some some scores don't lend themselves to that as much. Like, obviously, I can't put it into the context of having never seen Star Wars and listening to the soundtrack, but I don't think I would enjoy it out of that context.
2: Yeah i i do think that it's related relating it to moments honestly for a lot of that stuff i mean like when i listened when i was a kid and i listened to uh, the episode star wars episode three soundtrack obsessively i was relating every single thing i heard to a moment in that movie that's all i was thinking about and i love the music but it was, it was a relation thing. It was a correlation of hearing this and thinking, oh, this is when Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting and they're doing the, the dumb circle fucking thing and then their hands meet in the middle. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And if you don't, go watch episode three right now.
0: Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one other thing, since you mentioned uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Hagen. Yeah. For that first movie, they did the score in four days. That's amazing. the other person who was originally supposed to be the composer quit at the end due to creative differences. That's and so that's kind of an instance of they asked for so many different things and that original composer just said fuck this I'm done. They brought in <laughs> Hans Zimmer and like a dozen other people to write the whole thing in 4 days and that's one of the best scores of like the last 20 30 it's years. It's so good.
3: It's so but fucking yeah, amazing. I mean that that's another example of him using strings to be, you know, bringing bringing that stuff to ev- evolve it in such a way that he was using them as like Guitars almost And that uh, I watched the uh, The score documentary And when Hans Zimmer 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 Zimmer. Wiener Wiener When Hans Wiener Is talking about um, Weiner Weiner When Heinz Weinberg Is talking about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean He's saying Like people are saying That he was using it To be More like a guitar And that some people Were even saying That it almost reminded them Of like a Led Zeppelin song Or something like that
1: yeah for sure i i he i don't know if he does this regularly but he went on tour a while back and and i i saw his like coachella performance and it's just like it's fucking badass just because it was just like all right i'm gonna play fucking pirates of the caribbean and here's the inception song it's just like what the fuck is this it's insane the
2: bass the whole time
1: and he's up there just playing, like, guitar. Like, he's not composing, I don't think. Like, he's playing guitar, and he's got, like, three drummers in the back because he's such, like, a percussion-heavy uh, composer. It It's fucking nuts. You yeah, should, any- if you have a chance, just, like, go. You don't even have to watch the whole concert. Just skip around and see what I'm talking about.
2: On top of that, for anybody who hasn't, even if you don't like Man of Steel, go watch the video of them recording the Man of Steel theme. It is the coolest fucking shit in the world. They got a, was it is eighteen or twenty drummers, and it was like some of the best drummers in the world. And they just got in a room and just played. And it was some. It was that they played the same shit, but it was so cool. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. So I I don't have any more questions. Uh, does anybody have anything? Yeah, I just
3: I wanted to talk for a second about because I saw that you were gonna ask that question about um, listening to a score without watching the movie. You know, just doing it on your own. And I thought to myself is there would I ever do that my immediate answer was no absolutely not and then thinking about what movies I've seen that made me interested in the actual score itself and and wondering that exact question I did think about the movie Swiss Army Man and if you haven't seen that movie it's Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe are the two main characters the whole time and um it was Andy Hall or Andy Hall sorry and lead guitarist from the band Manchester Orchestra Robert McDowell they were asked to do the entire score for the movie and a majority of it is only voices and even more than that it's the two composers voices and Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe's voice and that entire movie is about isolation so the soundtrack to that movie is very isolated in that it's only those mainly those four voices so the way that they did that is great in and of itself. In doing research, I listen to the, the soundtrack, and it stands alone as a record itself. I listened yep. to most of it, and to go back to your point, Hagen, I didn't necessarily think about the movie. Sometimes I did, but yeah. about, as much, about as much as I would if I were recalling a memory of a song that I've heard a lot.
2: It, it definitely is soundtrack dependent, but I do think that for like majority of the big, the big scores, it, it relates to the film in, in a really good way. It's not a bad thing, but I, I, I do think that I, I would say majority of big scores, it, it has that to it where you listen to it and think of the movie. And sometimes you can still listen to it, but a lot of times, you know, it makes it hard to listen to it because you just want
1: the movie instead. So I, now that I'm thinking about it, I do have two examples of, I listen to scores without ever seeing the movies. I have Tom York's score for Suspiria. I never Same. saw that movie because I don't like horror movies. Like, I am very scared of horror movies, so I don't watch them, but I love Tom York. I'm a fanboy, so I have it on vinyl, and it's a good score. The highlights are his solo tracks, where it's just basically him actually doing a Tom York song but it's a good score but I have no clue in context of the film if it's good or bad I've heard it's good but just haven't seen it but then there was also Daniel Hart has done a ton of scores and I have not seen a lot of the films that he's done these scores for but I've listened to like I never saw Ghost Story but I've listened to that soundtrack just because I'm a huge fan of Daniel Hart and I think he's an amazing musician so well, yeah, I mean,
3: as as musicians, we are we have a different entry point into the idea of a movie or a movie score because, you know, we might Jackson and I may have watched Suspiria just to hear Tom York's work in action, or Adam may have watched The Social Network because he likes Trent Reznor. There are different no, entry it's
1: points No, because he likes Mark it. Zuckerberg. That too. Yeah, that's like Adam's. Adam's <laughs> you just got Yeah. <laughs> You got zucked,
3: <laughs> but you know, I mean, compo- well. like composers that we know when they start <laughs> venturing into that world of film scoring, there's a different, whole different market of what you can do. I would never think, as a musician, that you know someone like Hans Zimmer, or Zimmer, was part of the band that wrote "Video Killed the Radio Star." And now he's more, he's so known for film scoring that you don't even, it's not common knowledge that he was part of that band.
1: Also, and then you have someone like Mark Mothersbow, who was in Devo, and he is one of the renowned composers. And yeah, I don't know. So
3: there's a world in which in 30 years, uh, Trent Reznor is known more for his film work
0: than Nine Inch Nails.
1: Sooner than that.
0: I think that's already happened for some things. Yeah. Especially if the, the Watchmen score. I mean, I think that really oh, yeah. solidified yeah. that. Yeah. Um, to, to your point with uh, Mark Mothersbaugh or however you say his name. Um, I think that's a good example of a MCU movie that has a distinct score that stands out on its own, which is kind of weird. Cause it seems like they've gotten better about having scores that actually kind of matter. Which one was that, was that video came out Ragnarok.
2: Oh, okay but that's different because they also had a they they had a soundtrack they they a lot of a lot of my students came in wanting to learn Zeppelin tunes because of Ragnarok
1: immigrants well, I'm um, only thinking
0: about it in the term of the score but I guess that's true in terms of watching the movie that's part of why that works better but I, I don't know I think around then was like Black Panther was right before or after that and that has a more distinct score than most of the other MCU stuff like I couldn't tell you any of the themes for any of the first like i don't know dozen marvel movies that i can even remember but they do stand out more later on which is kind of interesting that maybe they've kind of figured out that that wasn't working great and kind of works to their detriment in the like you know big team-up movies with the avengers and stuff when you can't have a theme you can reference it's just kind of weird because that's part of what's great about star wars is those themes go all the way through all those movies and that that kind of just adds something to it that they're kind of missing so
1: so that Marvel Symphonic Universe video came out three years ago, and Black Panther came out around that same time. So maybe they saw that video and they were real butt about it. So <laughs> good on you, every frame of painting.
2: I think Black Panther, like Black Panther and Ragnarok, both were, in terms of the MCU, a really good point of like just in general changing some things up to be better movies. Um,
0: that's true and lending directors do more than they've been comfortable letting them do before. So yeah. maybe that maybe that's part of why that came out. So
2: But I'll also say that Black Panther had soundtrack to it as well. It had soundtrack aspects as well as having score aspects. Black Panther did. So it, 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 it like both yeah. Ragnarok and Black Panther had strong scores, but the soundtrack when they would include other songs, they really brought people in. Uh, and I think that helped the score and the music of the movie a lot, whereas I, personally my favorite like Marvel soundtrack or Marvel score has been from Infinity War and Endgame, but that's only because the moments in those movies are so important and intense. So I I, I don't really like feel like it it's actually the the score. I think the score again. I mean it, it if it wasn't there, it would maybe I don't know if it would be good or not. I don't know. I mean like. I'm pretty sure there's no score at the end of there's no music at the end of Infinity War when the snap happens. There's no music, and that's great.
3: So, what do you guys think about being in a band and having somewhat of a career? Yes, up I will to be a in a band with you, Dave. Um, and then we can write songs and record videos from home. Check out our Instagram. Um,
1: Check out our YouTube.
3: And our YouTubes. But what I was gonna say is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what do you guys think about being having a career as a band having a discography up to a certain point and then having a movie you know i think about 21 pilots in the song heathens and suicide squad and how popular that song was in some senses you can be in a band and have your career be defined by your participation in a movie i feel like for me personally i would be like damn that sucks because you will in some ways always be that band that was in that movie
1: i don't know i i, I see it a ton of different ways and i can see there are instances where people get famous for a cover that kind of stuff and that upsets them as far as i'm concerned as long as i would be able or like an instance with the black keys where people always joke that they sold out and then black keys says well no you guys are saying that it's shitty of us to want to make money off of our music. That's shitty of you for not wanting us to make money. So I would see it in that sense of like, yeah, I mean, like, maybe that's not the way I would want to get, uh, recognized, but, it, you know, everybody finds things different ways. It's not always word of mouth it's, mouth. it's not always the way you want, um, you know, your ideal scenario, but you know, it wouldn't upset me personally. Hagen, what do you think?
2: Um, I mean, to go back to the Black Keys point, I think that, uh, you know, they were. The, I, I liked them because of Zombieland, because they were in Zombieland. So to think about it from that perspective, and again, thinking about, like, you know, other amazing soundtracks, like, you know, Garden's Date and stuff like that, those movies. Right, like, like Jackson mentioned
3: The Shins earlier, yeah. how they, they admitted to it.
2: It makes it, it can make a career. I don't think it can, it can really break one. I can't think of an example off the top of my head where it can really break a career to have your song in a movie. Um, it doesn't really, I mean, sure, maybe the movie's not great, but it has nothing to do with the less than a minute that your song is in the movie, you know. Uh, so it's it's it really doesn't seem like a downside at all to be put in a movie. Um, and even if it is a cover, like if someone hired you to do a cover or something like that, uh, yeah. sure. I mean, whatever,
1: fuck it, you know, like let's, let, oh. let's do it. Uh, Hagan, you're talking about like, Oh, a, some, a musician being in a quote unquote bad movie. You started this out with what a lot of people are saying is a bad movie. Star Wars episode nine, where no one is going to ever go up to John Williams and be like, wow, you yeah. are responsible for that shit movie. It's just like exactly. no, it's completely two different camps. There are instances of great movies with bad scores and vice versa.
2: But I don't think even with a bad score, you're ever gonna. That, that's never gonna be the cause of a bad movie. It could. Yeah. It could be like a, a um, maybe helping factor. It could be like something that you could include and in like this movie sucked because the acting was bad and the score was shit. But it's never gonna be this movie sucked because the score was bad and that's it. That's never going to be as far as I as far as I can tell that's never going to be like the actual breaking point of why a movie can suck.
3: It's it seems that it's the best when it's the marriage of the two coming together so fluidly that you don't even really think about it either way until after the fact. When you're watching a movie and you don't pay attention necessarily when you watched episode 9 in theaters for everyone involved, did you guys think about the score while you were watching it or were you taken away by it? I was, because
0: I was trying to forget the movie.
1: <laughs> that movie was a, pretty much a wash over me, and I think right after the first sequence, after Kylo Ren's first sequence, I kind of looked over to my girlfriend and just said, oh, no. I audibly said that out loud. I said, oh, no. And then I just kind of sat back and was like, well, at least I have popcorn. That was, that was an interesting experience for me. It really was. I really like those movies, but that was a weird weird emotion
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be dealing with that for a long time I'm going to be dealing with episode yeah. 9 for a very very long time
1: um, yeah unlike Hagen I'm pretty much over it uh, you know there's going to be more Star Wars and there are good Star Wars there are bad Star Wars I, I'm i not upset by it at all but it definitely was one of those things the first time I sat down in a mov- a Star Wars movie and just thought oh wow this is actually bad I didn't like Solo but I was like Solo is serviceable, but that movie, I was like, what the fuck happened? So, I don't know. I, I wasn't thinking too much. Sorry, Dave. I don't know if no, that answers.
3: Fine. No, it's fine.
0: I mean, what, one, uh, one real quick thing that kind of ties in Star Wars more to music and the TV side of things, too, real quick. Mandalorian came out before Episode Nine, and I think that, A, made Mandalorian seem worse. Or not not Mandalorian. Episode Nine seem worse because we all just had watched the show that was, you know, pretty great by most accounts. And then the, uh, the music on that show is very distinctly its own thing, and I think that's a great thing for Star Wars going forward because, like you mentioned before, Hagen, it's hard to emulate John Williams and have it not be him. It just feels a little bit weird.
2: And that's what Clone Wars, the television show, does. It tries to feel like it's a it, it's the John Williams shit. And I love that show, but man, I really hate when they have music in. It drives me nuts. Just don't put music in it if you're going to try to sound like that. It doesn't work. Yeah,
0: it just doesn't work. Like <laughs> You can t- use those themes, and that's great, but ugh, trying to emulate somebody else's you know, style doesn't always come off great, and in this case, I don't think you can do it. No, so. you
3: can't. Especially someone of that stature. It's, it's such a tough thing, though, because music is so tied to movies in that way. You know, we're using Star Wars as the example, but music is so tied to movies, and whenever they venture off into other things that aren't related to the original personnel involved, it's really tough to decide, do we do no music in the Clone Wars, or do we, or whatever the show is, you know?
2: You nailed it. You got it.
3: Good. Okay. Yeah. Or, or do we, you know, try to emulate the music to keep it somewhat familiar?
1: I thought we could wrap up this topic just talking about some of our favorite scores. We've touched on them during the segment, but uh, I don't know if any of y'all have them prepared. So I'll go first and then Adam, and then y'all can go. That way you have a little bit of time to think about it. But obviously my favorite soundtrack of all time is The Lord of the Rings by Howard Shore specifically the fellowship of the ring i like all three scores but the fellowship of the ring is just like oh i could listen to that shit just driving down the highway and i would just blare that shit um and then phantom thread by johnny greenwood as mentioned and that's just a kind of cool one just uh, I, i love radiohead but then also just alone i think that i listen to that all the time while cooking and stuff like that. It's just a, it's kind of a peaceful record in and of itself. And as we said, John, Johnny Greenwood writes the music kind of on its own. So even though it is attached to a film, it does feel its own thing. Uh, Hans Zimmer has so many scores to pick from, but specifically one of my favorites and probably my favorites of his is Blade Runner 2049. It is, that one is very heavily tied to the, film it's you have to like the film to be able to listen to that score I would yeah it's not really its own piece but then also I wanted to throw in kind of what I'm I'm calling a soundtrack one but this one's a little weird but my favorite movie of all time is Inside Lewin Davis and the record for that is just incredible I love it just the way that they filmed that movie uh, is just incredible all live takes all that stuff just it is to this day the only thing that Marcus Mumford has done that I consider redeemable. So <laughs>
3: leave it alone. Hagan, leave it alone.
2: <laughs> I, I've no, I've had this conversation with him before. He, he made me watch that movie. I love that movie now. And Marcus Mumford, is great in that movie. So, you know, as long as he likes that part of Marcus Mumford, I'm good. We can move on. All We're right. okay. So that's
1: all I got.
3: My favorite score is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Manchester orchestra guys doing the Swiss army man movie. Um, I really enjoyed that movie. And, As I was mentioning earlier, the marriage of director and composer, I think, worked really well for this movie itself, but more than that, I could listen to this score outside of the movie, and I think that's maybe the only time that I could do that. So, that's my favorite.
0: I think Jackson took one of mine by saying Phantom Fred, but I think that's a perfect example of one that can be heard and appreciated without the movie. Um... Which isn't always the case with Johnny Greenwood's stuff for me, at least. Some of those do tie back to the movie more, like There Will Be Blood. It's kind of weird to listen to on its own, Yeah, even though I really like the music.
1: It's almost unlistenable on its own. I can't listen to that one.
0: Yeah, I really like the music, but it feels weird without anything else going on that you can see visually. Um, Kind of along the lines of Jackson's 2, I really like the Blade Runner 2049 one, but I think the original Blade Runner is an amazing score on its own, and that a 2049 doesn't exist without it. So I think that's a higher ranking on it for me. Um, let's see. I also had, uh, Tron legacy is really great. I think that's up there. It it's very different. And I, I like Def punk and it's, it's one of those things I like that. It's something different, kind of like all the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross stuff, which I'm not going to list, but I love all that stuff.
1: I specifically Uh, didn't say those. So you could say them, Adam, I knew I was taking some of yours, so I didn't say that. I,
0: I can, I can go with the, you know, the, Biggest one that I think I like the most is probably Gone Girl or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which are both two of the earlier ones now at this point, based on how many things they've done. Um, although, an example of one that I really like and have not seen the movie yet is Waves, which came out last year. Um, that's a great soundtrack, like I or a great score, for that matter. And I want to see the movie, but at the same time, I don't know that might change how I like that album, which is a sort of a weird thing to, to think about. Um but yeah, I think all that kind of stuff I do have one other score that I wrote down That I wanted to call out I think Solaris is a movie that I still haven't seen But I think the music is amazing So, I don't know, maybe I should watch the movie But I'm kind of worried about watching the movie <laughs> And then not liking the music anymore So
2: Okay, uh, so what I've been listening to uh, No, I'm kidding guys It's <laughs> uh, funny um... Star Wars
0: Episode Nine. <laughs>
2: Uh, my, honestly, my, my favorite scores, I mean, I've already said Star Wars and Pirates. Those two will, will always stay up because I listen to them so much. And Star Wars is a really important part of my life. Um, when I think past that, uh, I, I feel lame, but I love the social network. It's, like I the soundtrack, it's so good. So good. It's so good. It's no, it's so great. good. What it's are you so talking immediate? about? That's really not good. lame. Like what, what one note does for like a scene literally just hitting one, one key on the piano and just like, making a scene feel so many different emotions in just that way. Um, and I'm not talking about like, you know, on a synth where you have a bunch of effects. I'm talking about you literally just hear a piano go down and that's all you're like really hearing. And it just does so much. Um, yeah. I really,
1: what's, what's that little line? It's a do, do, do.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And
2: Ooh. there's, there's, there's one scene where he's where Mark Zuckerberg is running through the campus and uh, it's literally just like you see him run and he doesn't even finish the line. He just plays that first note and he just keeps running. And it's like, what? Like, I mean, th- this scene didn't need anything, but you gave it something. You gave it right. a-, a feeling. By um, the way, there's, and-
1: a gr- there's a ton of great videos of Trent Reznor's studio, but he has uh, did some videos while making that uh, soundtrack for uh, the social network. And there's this one where he talks about this synthesizer because he's got a synthesizer collection of like magnitudes and he had specifically for that movie he had this like custom synth designer make a thing called the swarmatron and it's like the only one in existence it's it's super interesting it's just this like piece of tape that you, yeah, put, your that. Finger, you put your finger on and it sounds like a swarm of like kind of bees but it's a synth noise it's super Damn. interesting and you hear it throughout the whole soundtrack That's yeah he cool. said he
3: wanted they, they wanted to meld uh electronics with an acoustic instrument to match the the whole idea of zuckerberg's trajectory
2: sorry Uh, go ahead no no i i that that's super cool i think that what that score did for a lot of these like biopics that have been coming out like the the steve jobs one with um shit it's not the one with ashton kutcher what the go the fuck michael fassbender it's michael michael
3: michael bass fender
2: yeah that's it bass fender (laughs) uh so (laughs) that one that score it, it really feels like it's trying to emulate the social network and it drives me up a fucking wall it like it really annoys the hell out of me um, so that but social network is awesome in terms of the score um, to, to piggyback on what you said Jackson about kind of a different thing that's kind of like a, a soundtracky thing uh, I recently listened I re-listened to this on my own without the movie for no reason other than I remembered it is the Muppets movie with the Jason Siegel did that shit is so good that music is incredible. They did such a good job with every aspect of that movie. And the mu- the music in particular is just unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: That's what I got. Do we even do we want to do what we're listening to? I don't know, do you? I have something. I, I wasn't
0: I'm not prepared.
1: Oh, that's normal. I've so. been
3: listening I've been listening to Dawes.
2: <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. One second. Let me, let me bring Kara in here. Hold on. Kara, yeah, yeah. Okay, she's coming. She's coming. Hold on one second, guys. Yeah, will you just just do the thing on the microphone? Yeah, thank you.
1: Hey,
2: listen. Thanks, Kara. You can go now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Marge Simpson.
1: <laughs> Man, accurate reference. Thank you, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> So I've been listening to this week It just came out today The 1975 uh, Pop rock outfit uh, Released their fourth Their senior effort uh, Notes on a conditional form It's a good album There's a lot of really good songs on it There's a lot of great songs on it But it is 80 plus minutes long It is so long It's 22 songs long And I really like the album I listened to it twice today Which wasn't that's a feat in itself listening to an album that length twice but it's a good album i really i really enjoyed it um it i think that is just the type of band that i won't ever listen to their albums from front to back it's just there are songs that i really like that i'm just gonna pick out and listen to and i'm okay with doing that but it's a good album notes on a conditional form by the 1975 that's what i've been listening to
3: I've been listening to the uh, the new album by Perfume Genius. It's called uh, "Set My Heart on Fire Immediately." It's um, it's a, it's a really like moody record, but it's a really good listen. It's produced really well. Blake Mills was the producer, and he is the main producer for the band Dawes. Jesus Christ! So, there you got it. Then still,
1: yeah, uh, that's
3: how that's how I found that.
1: <laughs> how many Dawes <dolls> of separation? <laughs>
3: One da, one da of separation.
1: Only one da.
2: I've been listening to. Now you have to See, keep it in, motherfucker. No, that's What you band. should have done,
1: <laughs> what you needed to do was keep talking while you opened the can, because then I no. couldn't have taken it out. Well, so I'm taking still, that out. It's gonna I'm going to censor it. It's going to be bitch. difficult.
2: Okay, that's fine. Uh, I uh, Dave mentioned the Jason Isabel record last week, the full one, because I just listened to the mm-hmm. singles. Uh, so I listened to the full album this week. It's great. Reunion's really, really good. Um, I have, so Carly Rae Jepsen released an album last year called Dedicated and I heard it was, it was good. I heard it was okay. I never listened to it. I should have. Uh, but this week she released Dedicated Side B, which is is a confusing name because it sounds like it's like the, like it's a double album. But I'm pretty sure these are the B sides, not the side B. I'm pretty sure that's what this is. Uh, but I, when this came out, I guess it, I guess it dropped on Thursday, like morning, I guess, or f- Wednesday night. People were already talking about it, like immediately, about how good it was. And then uh, Theo Katzman, who I've talked about a lot, he wrote one of the songs and played on played most of the instruments on one of the songs. Uh, it's a really good album. It's really really fun. Uh, a lot of different stuff on there, but there are a good number of like pop dance songs, but they don't feel like too annoying by any means. And then I found, uh, Elizabeth Moen today. She's really, really good. Amazing singer. Really, really cool songs. I would, uh, particularly say everybody should go listen to her single. She put out recently called Headgear. Absolutely amazing. She's a great singer, great songwriter. Uh, go check her out.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say what I've been listening to, which is not much. Uh, I don't have anything new to add, but I have been hearing uh, Bullet, with Bullet with Butterfly Wings by the Smashing Pumpkins on the Loop. Because my fiancé is watching all 61 episodes of Whale Wars. And it's really unfortunate, and I'm really over it.
2: Wado, wado, this is the Whale Wars?
0: I don't know either. I
1: yeah, get him. <laughs> get the baby with the beer. Uh. Adam, when we started
3: this episode and you mentioned that before we started the recording, I thought you said that Mallory was or your fiance was watching whale whores.
2: <laughs> but you didn't question it then?
0: That, um, that might have been a thing to ask
2: about. <laughs> you didn't you didn't think to ask what the fuck is whale whores? <laughs> But now we're curious what whale wars is. I mean, that is also interesting, but whale whores is definitely a little more
1: interesting. It, my, just, my, it my made fia- sense
3: to Dave. My fiance just texted me and said, the tea's ready because I keep laughing with a wheeze.
1: <laughs> Guys, with banter like this, we're moments away from getting our $100 million Spotify deal. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, that's a different episode. Different episode.
1: Get fucked, Jerry I don't have time Rogan. for that tonight. All right. All right, so, everybody. Th- thanks for listening, everybody. This has been thanks a for fun listening. week. I truly enjoyed this. Uh, it, I I would definitely not be against this, especially with us all being in quarantine still, even though we're in the stupid state of Texas. We, I would <laughs> love to sit down, the four of us, and watch uh, Star Wars Episode Nine and do a live commentary of that if you guys ever want to do that if anybody is um, into so that only, i'm looking at you i've only seen it
0: once and i uh, i would be happy if that was the second time i saw it
1: i'm calling out our listeners tony olivia i need you to write in and say mom. you want that yeah mom hagan's mom <laughs> dave when you listen to this we that's what we want <laughs>
0: you must write in.
1: Yeah. If you want this to happen, you must write in. That's all I got. But I, that, you know, I was just thinking about that when we were talking about this nonstop that like, I was like, huh, I think that'd be really fun and possibly heartbreaking for Hagen. Cause I think that would, you would walk away from that very upset. Well,
2: I know, I know all but, the bad parts of that movie because I don't know if I want to like it, but I like, I, I have this love for star Wars that I can't get rid of. And so, I, I, but I'm totally aware that it's not good, but I'll watch it again with you guys. Well,
3: if you would like to, as Jackson said, if you would like to hear us do that, let us know. Yes. We're not going to do it if
0: we don't get any emails. Yeah. Yeah. We just need one. Just one
1: more. like on this post and I'll fucking get drunk. All right, <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs>